Bad architecture. <laughs> Wait a minute. I made terrible sounds. <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping it. We're keeping it. Hi, I'm Sarah T.G. Meets. I'm Erin Keneally. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is Bad Architecture. So we decided to do this podcast because we both love old buildings and we love the stories behind it. And we love the weird stories behind it, the things that are bad. Not like bad, like some things like not a good piece of architecture, but because the stories are just so weird and bad and good. Uh, sometimes it might be bad architecture, but well, usually it it's be. the story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So some of the things we will cover will be, you know, hotels from hell, spite houses, evil architects. Yes. <laughs> Just all the weird and wonderful things that make these buildings so special. Yes. Special, strange, cursed. Ooh. Or even what's just inside the buildings that make them just so damn creepy. Right. Even the physical building itself perhaps is creepy. Or perhaps a creepy person built it for creepy reasons. (laughs) So there's lots of ways that architecture can be bad. Sometimes it's so bad, it's good. Sometimes it's just, damn, that's bad. But it's also (laughs) just like, oof, the stories are just weird. And we like to celebrate the weirdness in the world. Yes, we do. Wonderful, Sarah. Thank you. We also, in each episode, will highlight a piece of badass architecture. That's a riff on the theme. Maybe not the same exact thing but uh just related to the theme in a way that's another little special just another special building to bring some love to one that's particularly cool yes for a myriad of reasons exactly so it's our way of celebrating architecture again the two of us love old buildings erin how did we meet we met in the Historic Preservation and Restoration Master's Program at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. We're building nerds. We are. We're building serious. gropers. Oh, yes. We are building gropers. <laughs> and boy, do we love research. We do love research. And Sanborn maps. And Sanborn maps, which <laughs> probably will make an appearance in almost every single episode. So hopefully you'll... Follow along on our journey. You'll learn about some really cool buildings. You'll laugh along with us. And we just hope you enjoy it. We do. And if you have suggestions, we will take them. Please, because there are so many, so many wonderful examples of bad architecture and so many bad stories to go with it. So we're looking for them. We're looking for you to share them. And we can't wait to share all these stories with you. Just a quick note, we started working on this podcast over a year ago, and this is the first one we recorded. We're finally launching and we'll be releasing newly recorded episodes with these older ones, so if anything sounds funky, like us saying the year is 2021, that's why. One more thing, this episode does contain references to starvation, violence, and murder, so please be careful if any of those are triggers for you. Designed for death. Yes. I love it. I love it. And this was our agreed upon very first one because we both find it absolutely fascinating. 
So yes. what we will do is we are each going to share a story about some bad architecture with you. And then I have a surprise one at the end that is oh. badass architecture. So Woo! yay. <laughs> awesome. Can't be all negative now. It can't so. be all negative. So I think, Erin, you're going to take it away. Yes, I'd like to start. Um, my bad architecture story is about Dr. Linda Burfield Hazard, who, at the turn of the century, uh, 1911 is when she really kicked off with her uh, quote-unquote osteopathic uh, fasting and treatment cures for people. <laughs> um, she claimed to be a doctor, but she was not. She was imprisoned by the state of Washington for a number of deaths at a sanitarium that she operated there in the early 20th century. Uh -huh. Now, she has a really, like, checkered and weaving story, and I'm going to try to do it as quick as I can. So what happened is she had this place in Olala, Washington, which is near Seattle, like a piece of land. And she had a bungalow on this land, which she lived in with her con artist husband, uh, Sam Hazard. <laughs> He's That's also a good... bigamist. Oh, I like the last name. Hazard seems to describe him kind of uh, well. It, it describes her perfectly. <laughs> so, If you ever have a Dr. Hazard, you should probably check the background before yeah. you listen to what they have to say. So anyway, so... She went to Washington and got this piece of property because she always had this dream of having a sanitarium for her cure that she came up with. And she went to Washington particularly because there was a loophole that grandfathered in some practitioners of alternative medicines without degrees because they didn't have a lot of doctors out there. Okay, <laughs> so, were... so yeah, so when you're looking for a doctor, um, last name Hazard looks for <laughs> loopholes in how to perform or operate medical practices without a license. Okay, so good things. Yes, very good things. So she goes out and she creates a sanitarium, but... Before she does that, in 1908, she writes her first book, which is called The Fasting for the Cure of Disease. Then, in 1917, after some of this went down, she wrote another one called Diet and Disease and Systemic Cleansing. And then a fifth revised and amplified edition of her Fasting for the Cure of Disease was published in 1927, again, long after some of this went down under the title, Scientific Fasting, the Ancient and Modern Key to Health. So she really was persistent, and she really believed hard in this treatment. Mm -hmm. So the treatment consisted of, <laughs> these poor people paid for this. Can you believe it? Um, hold on, I'm finding my paper. Wait, so they, they paid to be deprived of food? Yes, they paid for a treatment because they had this idea they were not well, or perhaps they had like arthritis or some other thing that nobody could cure back then or help them with. So they sought out this woman because she put out a pamphlet advertising her cure and her fasting book. <laughs> and so her treatments consisted of fasting. And this would be, you would only be allowed like one cup of tomato broth or asparagus broth in the morning and at night. That's it. And maybe one small teaspoon of orange juice. A teaspoon you know, of orange if juice. If you were good. Oh, for a treat. 
Yeah. <laughs> you get your teaspoon of orange juice. Oh, right. Oh, my God. Oh, my so, gosh. Anyway, yeah, I know. So, anyway, here's our treatment. So, the fasting, daily enemas that sometimes lasted for hours. <laughs> oh, hours? Yes. Yes. Oh, no. Because the body was to be rid of toxins and poisons. Boiling hot baths. And internal massages. I have not been able to figure out what an internal massage is from anything I've read, but I, I don't know if I want to know. And oh they were also given osteopathic treatments that were basically like these slapping sessions for the body. You know, so, you know, like a vigorous massage, if you will, but it was the slapping kind, you know. So basically like, she, she, she slapped the shit out of you. Oh, yeah. After and then, after cleansing the shit out of you, she then yes. slapped the shit out of you. Okay. Yes, and then she'd make her patients walk, fierce walking, to cleanse the body of toxins. <laughs> Sounds like a masochist. Oh. I know, right? And well, not only was she all these things, so she thought herself a doctor. I think she actually truly believed she was a doctor, and she had a good cure. But she was also a con artist because she would take people in to give them this cure, and. Before she even had a sanitarium at Olala, she did not build her sanitarium until 1920. So in the early years, they would stay either at local hotels and she would make the rounds, visiting them and giving them enemas and whatever. And then, and then she would sometimes bring the extra sick, with quotes, to her home, this little bungalow, and they'd stay in these attic rooms. Now, she has supposedly killed... At least 14 people with this cure. 14? At least. Um, Greg Olson, who wrote like the definitive biography on this, uh, says dozens. Um, but we at least 14 are directly attributable. So, <laughs> yes. The locals called, so she called, let me, let me tell you, she called her sanitarium Wilderness Heights Institute of Natural Therapeutics. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Lovely. That sounds lovely. Yeah. It does. Well, the locals called it Starvation Heights. And that's where the name comes from. <laughs> if you want to see pictures of her or the patients or anything, just type in Starvation Heights. It will come up. Um, so the locals talked about, especially to this biographer, they talked about um, how like these skeletal like zombie like patients would come walking through town and sometimes stopping to buy something never food um from the shops mm -hmm. and they said that they tried to offer them food and things like water and everything but they wouldn't touch anything because dr hazard had said had not prescribed it so they were almost hypnotized by this cure it's really bizarre it's like they wanted it Wow. And some of them called it a beautiful treatment. Now, not everybody died. So some people made it and, you know, acclaimed her in newspapers and such. So she had some acclaim as an actual doctor. <laughs> so anyway, she was eventually caught because her best known patients were these two wealthy British heiresses, Claire and Dora Williamson. And they came from Britain. They were wealthy. So they were comfortable, but they mm -hmm. came from Britain for this cure, and they had to live in the local hotels for a while, which they weren't used to, and, <laughs> and get these enemas and broth treatments and slapping treatments. And <laughs> I know. And so, <laughs> I know. 
know, I know. I'm just like, oh my God, these poor people. So anyway, so eventually she moves them into her bungalow because they're quote unquote very sick, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and eventually after she builds a few cabins on the property, which was always the plan, she moves Dora into one of the cabins because Dora was a little more independent and a little mm -hmm. more questioning, whereas her sister Claire was all in. And she kept Claire in an attic sunroom in this bungalow. Now, the bungalow, I can talk about this really quick, is a little just typical, I would call it, California bungalow with lots of windows, you know, typical. Yeah. Clabbered, you know, nothing special. It still stands in Olala. If you want to go see it, do a little ghost hunting, you can yes. go see this. Um, anyway, so Claire eventually dies in this attic sunroom of the bungalow while Dora's living in the cabin. And Dora is rescued by their old nanny or so, or old nanny or maid or something like that. Somebody used to be in their employ comes and rescues Dora from the clutches of Dr. Hazard and her enemas. So she stands trial. She's convicted of manslaughter. She spends two years at Walla Walla only, right? And then she gets a pardon from the governor. She leaves America. She spends time in New Zealand practicing, possibly killing. We don't know. She was fined for practicing when not having a license in New Zealand and had to leave. So she came back. She had kept her property this whole time. She came back, and now she's got enough money from New Zealand to build her big sanitarium by the cabins Wait, in so 1920. She, <laughs> she went to prison. Yes. Was let out of prison, moved to New Zealand, got kicked out of New Zealand for practicing without a license, moved back, and is like, now I'm going to start my center again. Yes. She's persistent. Yes, like, and by now she has no grandfathered license because, you know, she was convicted of manslaughter. <laughs> oh, my God. So anyway, yeah, I know. She's a real, yeah, piece of work. So she comes and she builds this big sanitarium. I've only been able to find two pictures of this because it did burn down in 1935. I believe Sam might have done it, her husband, for the insurance money. Not her because she was devastated, but, you know. He need the money for drinking. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the two of them anyway. were, I mean, this is a good marriage. This yes. is solid. A good match. Yes. They're so, good, good choices that they made together. <laughs> the sanitarium itself is just this typical, like, two-story clabbered, you know, double porch with the doors on the, you know, the second floor, too, to come out to the porch. Just a couple of large dormer windows in the top. It's nothing super fancy. But, I mean, it's big, reasonably big, but not like you'd think, like, oh, this great sanitarium. No, it's really just a rectangle, you know, with some dormers <laughs> and a double porch. And zombies and, and very and thin, zombie sick people. people just wandering the grounds. And the cabins where people stayed uh, as well. Yes. So, anyway, <laughs> so, you know, the... This burns down in 1935, you know, by then she's killed a bunch more people, uh, <laughs> you know, and then in 1938, she gets sick. Now, by now, she's 70 in 1938, so she gets sick, and she decides that she is going to do the treatment herself and cure herself, and basically... Fuck everybody that said she, you know, wasn't a doctor and she couldn't cure anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show you by doing the treatment that killed many people yes. to myself to show you that I am not full of shit. Yes, ma'am. So okay. she did it. This um, is going to yeah. go well. 
This is no. going to go well, right? Well, here's the thing. She'd already been doing her own enemas. She'd already been doing those for years, for decades, because she, you know, believed in it so much. And by now she couldn't even, you know, shit on her own. Like they didn't work anymore. Oh so God. she was already doing the enemas. So she was already halfway there. All she had to do is just kind of stop eating and do the fierce walking and I don't know, have somebody slap her, I guess, because she couldn't do it to herself. <laughs> so here's the kicker. She died after weeks of this treatment in the bedroom directly under the sunroom where this Claire died so many years before. How's that put for poetic justice? I'm just saying. So <laughs> then, <laughs> um, and they have even an excerpt that somebody published in 1911 when all this first went down with Claire and everything um, of, let's see, the diary of one of the persons who did die after receiving her treatment. And it's nuts. <laughs> it's like, it starts February 1st and it, and it literally goes to, I want to say March 28th. And that was when his hospitalization happened, like actual hospitalization, not Dr. Hazard hospitalization. And he died that afternoon. So it was literally, what, two months? Ate three oranges today was one day. <laughs> Big day. Uh, Big day. Three ate, oranges. <laughs> right? Ate one cup, settled in strained tomato broth. Backache today, just below ribs. I wonder that's, why. That's called hunger pains. <laughs> It's called your body eating your, itself. It's it's hungry. You're hungry. <laughs> Slept pretty well Thursday night. Ate one and a half cups tomato broth 11 a.m. Ate one and a half cups tomato broth 6 p.m. Pain in right below ribs. Again, you're hungry. That's hunger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's my design for death. And um, the, uh, the foundation for the sanitarium actually still stands. Everybody still calls it Starvation Heights. You know, the locals have a hard time forgetting that this happened in their town. And you can mm -hmm. still see, well, at least I thought that there were the remnants of some of the cabins still around. At least that's what I read in one article. But that may not be true anymore because they're just wood. And eventually they're going to decay. They're not taken care of. So that's my story. <laughs> crazy. I mean, people... People kept going to her. That's yes. Oh, even after she was convicted of murder, they were coming by the droves to get the treatment. Droves. I mean, I mean, how far is? I mean, it's a little farther than like fasting and enema treatments that are really <laughs> common today. Just a little bit more extreme. I mean, she like notched it up just a lot. Oh, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, these things are still kind of happening. Like they are. Which is terrifying. I mean, I even saw, I think it was a strange addiction where they were giving oh, themselves I love that coffee enemas. I'm like, coffee enemas? <laughs> oh my God, I saw that episode. That show. Oh my God. Yes. It's a great that show. That show. It's, <laughs> but I just, so this, she was like cult, like, she convinced yeah. people, she convinced people. Like, this is like half cult leader, half serial killer. Who gets away? Like, over 14 people and, that's it. Well, and you know, some people are incredibly persuasive. <laughs> I would think that she would be one of them. Apparently, she was a formidable personality. Um, that's what the newspaper said at the time. So yeah. I imagine that she just used her charisma. She wasn't unattractive. 
Um, she was what they would call a handsome woman, so mm. not like delicate. Okay, you know, um, and she probably maybe she just like talked with enough authority that people were like, "Well, she's got to be right." And look, she's alive. I mean, people right. die. People die of everything right now. I mean, it must be working. How did people believe her? I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, she would regale them as well with all these success stories, of course, of people who'd been cured by her cure. Ah. So, you know, I mean, whether those were actually true or not, nobody knows. Yeah. So, yeah. Jeez. That's- <laughs> but, you know, diet of her own cure. I'm just saying, if you're yeah. going to believe in something, you better take it all the way. Yeah. I mean, she followed through. She followed through. <laughs> she died. <laughs> hungry yes and alone and because her husband was out at the time <laughs> and he found her in the morning wow yeah wow that's yep. bad architecture that is, that some is bad, bad architecture <laughs> <laughs> and it's not Ooh. even around anymore so there you go yeah i bet it would be haunted if it was oh it that whole grounds has to be can you imagine like, just, like, the people still walking, because she's like, walk, walk, good for the soul, walk. <laughs> and you just hear, like, echoes of, like, yes. oh, no. oh, that's that's the slap treatment. And when you walk on site, you just get really, really hangry. Like, you're, like, hungry and angry, and just, like, you get possessed by the ghost of the hungry people that starve to death at our yep. medical site. I'm pretty sure Dead Files even did a... a a uh, whole show at the bungalow. <laughs> so like that's how that's how it's become like, you know, for ghost hunters, everybody wants to go there and see if they can talk to anybody. Yeah, it probably just smells like tomato broth. Just oh. like <laughs> the scent of tomato broth in the air. Or asparagus broth. Oh, mm. even oh, oh. <laughs> can you imagine what the bathroom smelled like? Oh. 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 Well, she oh. describes that one of <laughs> One oh. of her treatises, and that the patient was continuing to uh, lose a foul, foul and black tarry stools. So you can imagine. Um, oh no! Or or substance. Sometimes she said stool. Sometimes she said substance. <laughs> which I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we want to know. That's oh, that's yeah. gross. I know yeah. it's a really gross story. But you also have a gross story. <laughs> I do have a gross story. Um, yeah. So for the second design for death, yes. I know we're, we are kicking this off on a very nice, cheery note for bad architecture. Not all of them will be about death or murder or clowns. Just a lot of them. <laughs> yes. There will be other items that we will cover. But right. And this one is no longer standing either. So I am doing the murder castle in Chicago of H.H. H. Holmes. Dun dun. Dun dun. H.H. <laughs> H. Holmes was a serial killer during the World's Columbia exhibition in Chicago. And I will be talking about the murder castle. But I'll give a little bit of a background for those of you who aren't obsessed with um, strange historical murders as we are. And uh, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to pull up, have this so I can have some photos possibly to illustrate because this place is crazy. 
So, in the 1890s, just as Chicago was going into hyperdrive, readying itself for the World's Columbian Exhibition, uh, that was the World's Fair, for people that don't know that, which I didn't know before, uh, basically they built an entire city, this big white city, that's why it's called Devil in the White City, to host this World's Fair in Chicago. And while that was happening, at the same time, another structure was being built, and that was the murder castle of H.H. Holmes. So H.H. Holmes is actually Herman Webster Mudgett. That's a great name. Attractive (laughs) sounding. And he was born in 1860, the son of a wealthy and respected New Hampshire family. His life of crime began in medical school, so he also was one that started out with a nice checkered past. He staged accidents using corpses stolen from the local morgue and then collected insurance policies he's taken out on cadavers. <laughs> ah, another con artist. <laughs> yeah. Good choices. Again, really good choices. Um, so then he left his wife and child and moved out west and took on the name H.H. H. Holmes um, which was a respected family name at the time. And he moved to and he moved to Englewood, which is a small kind of like suburb area outside of Chicago. And to begin his life as an entrepreneur, a bigamist, an amateur architect, and a murderer. So, <laughs> and that quote is from, I love it, is from the publication Chicagoist. So, <laughs> what a prize. <laughs> what a prize. Ladies line up. And sadly, they did. Um, So he moved to Chicago in the mid-1880s, and he started working at a pharmacy in the Englewood neighborhood, just east of Jackson Park, which is where the main setup for the World's Fair was. Uh, He purchased a vacant lot on South Wallace Avenue and West 63rd Street, across the street from the pharmacy that he was working at. And it was right on this lot that Murder Happy Mudget would start constructing his own Mixed-use compound, um, kind of a live workspace, if you will, with a very <laughs> murdery tinge to it. Um, he outfitted it with all the bells, whistles, and secrets of what people called the America's first serial killer. So how did he afford to build a massive structure that had more than 100 rooms and stretched for an entire block? Well, according to a Harper's article... He would borrow, with worthless notes and smooth talk, enough money to buy a lot. To repay the original loan, he would borrow on the lot. He would build the house in a highly frenetic fashion, discharging workmen wrathfully, threatening suit against subcontractors, cajoling those he could not frighten, stalling, always stalling the payroll. As soon as the roof was on, he would order huge quantities of furniture and other merchandise, on credit, of course, And then he would sell the furniture to pay the workmen and the loan on the lot. By the time the furniture company got round to repossessing (laughs) its property, the furniture was gone because he'd sold it. Um, And so was Holmes. Or else he devised some new swindle to raise enough cash to pay the furniture company and was now embarked on a fresh scheme to get money to appease his latest victim. And so on. Sounds like a lot of uh, large-scale, big-name developers that we know yeah, today. I'd love Namely that. a couple. <laughs> <laughs> that would never happen. It's, 
And it's like that whole, was it like uh, stealing from Peter to pay Paul and Mary? And like, I don't, just like, so he would like, just keep shifting where the funds were and what they, what was happening. And like, I just love that he like purchased furniture to outfit it and then sold the furniture to pay the workers. And there was always something crazy happening. And that Harper's article got it just like. That's exhausting. (laughs) I can't even think about the energy required to keep this lifestyle up. I know while the building is being constructed, literally is like being built as this is all happening. So that obviously resulted in a very cohesive building. No. (laughs) So the resulting building was a mishmash visually and a bit confusing and cohesively designed. I mean, a a bit incohesively designed, probably due to all the switching up the architects and the contractors. And you guess you could call it the first. So it's it's a mishmash of styles. It's hard to put it into one style um kind of i guess you could say some loose queen and stylistic elements to it i'll pull up a photo to show you but the first floor was um retail space so again this was a mixed use building like live work space um and the second and third floors were to be rented out and homes had hoped to somewhat be like to start like a hotel for the world's fair um <laughs> again he was very ambitious and so construction to do the two-story originally two-story building with apartments on the second floor and the drugstore that he would then run on the first so he did decide to not pay the architects or the steel company and they sued him in 1888 and after that he somehow shifted around money and added a third floor telling investors and suppliers he intended to use it as a hotel during the um during the world's fair Though the hotel portion was never completed. So I am going to pull up a photo of this because, I mean, how, how, would, how would you describe this, Erin? Well, okay. So it has some, some, okay, mm-hmm. uh, features of what you would consider like a, a turn-of-the-century city block building, right? Yep. Um, however... You know, one side has no windows, except for the bays, which is weird. And yep, like, no windows. And, and the top is strange. Um, and I, I think the top is unfinished. That's the third floor that looks I like know. it's it's just like looks like framework that also yeah. doesn't look like it has many windows. No, and and <laughs> it has it has um. It has the square bays and also the round bays, which is strange. Or is it just the turret and then the square bays? Is that what I'm looking at? I think or like it's just gonal bays. Yeah. Th- <laughs> so that's like the one city block on the corner of that block has like that kind of rounded turret bay, mm-hmm. and then the other bays are kind of are, are kind of more squared off. It's yeah. really it's, it's strange. It's very hulking. It's very ugly. So many articles at the time called it. Ugly and large, quote unquote. (laughs) It is ugly and large. And then the Chicago Tribune article describes it as, oh, what a queer house it was in all America. (laughs) There was none other like it. Its chimneys stuck out where chimneys should never stick out. Its stairways ended nowhere in particular. Winding passages brought the uninitiated with a frightful jerk back to where they had started from. 
There were room. <laughs> there were rooms that had no doors. There were doors that had no rooms. This is like the Winchester Mystery House. Like it is. It's, it's like it. It is like somebody that was not sane. Yeah, designed and then, it. <laughs> A mysterious house it was indeed, a crooked house, a reflex of the builder's own distorted mind. In that oh house occurred dark and eerie deeds. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I know. I know. So that was written after everything had happened. So, I mean, it, this is, a, again, it's a block building. This was not like he just decided to build a small... I mean, know, it's big. If, if Looking at the photo, there's a little two-story next to it. Yeah. Typical, and then a little one story next to it on the other side. So it's and like so the it most just, gigantic, and the awnings are oversized. It's very strange awnings. All the proportions are weird. So yeah, all in all, it's just it's hulking. It's ugly. It's not anything garish. It's just not good. But what the just not good exterior was hiding was a really like twisted and dark interior which is where it gets really really bad well let me just say then if if the way it's built and the and the you know the different proportions and stuff that aren't exactly right the scales are off um if you've ever read the haunting of hill house by shirley jackson Mm. uh you recognize that description as her description of hill house (laughs) yeah it's like with architecture when something's off you sometimes you can't pinpoint it because it might be a combination of different architectural and design choices, but something can feel off as a result of all those choices that were made, all those bad, just if this, the spacing, the massing, just how things, how shapes and lines relate to each other and the angles, it can just feel off. And I guess this one just felt off and was just, and it was big. It's not like you could not see it. It was this hulking mass on an entire Street corner. And those awnings. Oh, those are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. So then, let me see if I can pull up. Oh. So from, there's no pictures of the interior. That was the one of the few exterior shots that I could find. From the photos of the, in, drawings of the interiors in a bunch of the different magazines or articles about it, there's uh, descriptions. It, it's kind of... It, all the descriptions kind of come out to being like a murder mystery version of shoots and ladders. <laughs> there's staircases, there's shoots that go down to the basement. Um, the like the hallways were like a rabbit warren, like confusing space of where it's like almost like a labyrinth to get through the 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 second and third floors because it just it was nonsensical and I think it was meant to confuse. So um, accounts that I found there's sealed off rooms, strange shoots that led to sinister basements that had like acid baths and a giant (laughs) oven for like, of course, everybody's saying it's just for burning bodies. We know that a lot of these older buildings had trash furnaces, but this is the murder castle. I mean, trash and bodies, I think both went in there. Um, (laughs) There was... (laughs) <laughs> uh, there was a locked room adjacent to Holmes' personal office that contained a walk-in bank vault that had been modified to include a gas pipe. What? Oh, Holmes, oh why, does, why, why does your bank vault need a gas pipe? Why? <laughs> why? Good grief. And only he from his office could control the gas flow vid- like through like a hidden panel that he had in his bedroom closet. So these, again, are all great, great choices. Totally normal. Totally <laughs> Completely normal. So again, there was over a hundred rooms in this building, 
And it's even said that some of the rooms had gas lines that fed right into the rooms. I mean, they might have been for lights. Some of the accounts say that it was for being able to poison the inhabitants with gas to knock them out to then perform sinister acts upon them. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> so the second floor was uh, had 51 doorways and six hallways. And 35 of the rooms of on the second floor were ordinary bedrooms, but others were airtight. Some were lined with asbestos-coated steel plates or completely soundproof. Oh, my God. I don't think he had a jam band that needed soundproofing. <laughs> no. You know, um, I'm looking at this, Sarah, and, you know, I got the degree in interior design, and so I'm not unskilled at reading floor plans, and I cannot make sense of this <laughs> floor plan. I'm staring and staring. I, it's very difficult. It's and, crazy. And some of the rooms were super tiny. It said that some of the rooms had drop ceilings, and it's just, it looks so chaotic and so crazy that unless you knew how to get around or where each door or hallway went to, you would be at a loss of how to get through it's a nightmare yeah and again <laughs> those gas lines apparently were controlled from a panel in Holmes' office oh uh there's the castle again oh and oh some had people some had peepholes oh yeah choice <laughs> and and like and like trip lines or booby traps if people were trying to get out so like if a door was opening in one room he might have a bell or something again this is a lot of this is speculative and there's been articles that have said there's not as many of these things that actually existed in the structure at the time. We know that the news used to so, like sensationalize these things. Yes. The, the news still yes. does that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, trap doors, secret passageways, sliding panels, a host of everything that you could think of in a creepy, crawly, old house, like murder house, basically, oh. it was said to have. And the seller of it was probably what... A lot of the information, some of the stuff that was written about was where there was, you know, the, the, basically the crematory oven. Um, oh. Again, there was an acid tank, quick lime oh, vats, <laughs> and a dissecting table and surgeon's cabinet, and apparently something called an elasticity determinator that he claimed he invented it himself and he claimed it could stretch experimental subjects to twice their normal height, eventually creating a race of giants. Oh my God. <laughs> Big. A so a rack. He had a rack in the basement. <laughs> and that's exactly what the police compared it to. They were like, basically he had a, he had a rack. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's some rooms called the waiting room, the dark room, the reception room, the secret chamber, the five door room, the mysterious closed room. <laughs> Not creepy at all. Asphyxiation no. chamber. Oh no. <laughs> oh my God. Laboratories, <laughs> trap doors. Yes. Wait, I see so, one called the maze. Is, is there anything about that? Why is one room called the maze? Is there no extra expl- walls in there? That's so weird. No explanation okay. <laughs> needed. It's the maze. Oh, my God. Um, so while he was building all of this, while he was renting out rooms and doing all this, he was still maintaining a home with his wife and Willamette. Do you think the wife had any idea 
that he was pulling crazy stuff. Do you think she ever went through there and went, oh, this is nice, <laughs> and went home? No, I don't. <laughs> It, this this looks like a great hotel. I'd stay here. Yeah. I'm never I'm never coming back. Right. It's, <laughs> like, and when people moved in, I mean, I guess if you're desperate for a room, I've lived in some shit apartments, and like right. that had some very questionable layouts. Like there was a door in one of my bedrooms that led down to the basement where the laundry room was. That also <sighs> that now no. that I think about it, there was a lot of passageways, and you could get over to another part of the building. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't want to think about this too deeply. (laughs) I'm glad I locked that door. Oh, jeez. Yeah, me Um, too. Yeah. Yikes. So, again, so in 1894, the cops finally came to the murder castle. Um, During the Columbia Exhibition, people would stay here. People would go missing. Um, it kind of became a lodger house. I mean, there was a ton of rooms and a ton of spaces. Um, it estimates range that from 20 to a couple hundred of people. I mean, that's, that's pretty vast range. So anywhere between 20 and a hundred people who were possibly murdered in the murder castle, most being women, it's believed that the process where they were chloroformed or gassed, strangled, or perhaps beaten to death, and then their bodies were destroyed in the pits containing quicklime and acid or burnt into in the ovens. Holmes himself, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Holmes himself, he confessed to 28 of the murders, though the actual number is also said to be up to 200. I mean, this is really, there's, there's a lot of swing in this, in, wow. in, the, in, the, facts, in the facts for this. Um, he advertised lodging for tourists at the World's Fair, and then he would place classified ads in small town newspapers offering jobs to young women to work in the pharmacy or just offering himself for marriage. Oh, (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Apparently he married quite a few times. Okay. This sounds like a great idea. (laughs) It can't, it can't fail. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so... Basically, in his confession, Holmes claimed, I was born with the devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer no more than the poet can help the inspiration to sing. (sighs) Beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) He apparently remained charming, charismatic, and unrepentant to this the day of his execution in 1896, just before his 36th birthday. So he was only 36 by the time he had done all of this. That's a year younger than me. (laughs) God, he was busy. He was... How do you run all these scams and kill that many people at the same time? Cocaine. (laughs) Oh, it might have been, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you could get it at the drugstore. I'm guessing cocaine. Oh, I'm sure. It was in Coke. That's right. He was a pharmacist. That's, you are correct. Cocaine. (laughs) Yep. Oh, jeez. Can I just say something, Sarah? Yeah. On this floor, you've got another axiometric drawing here. (laughs) And, and... Right in the tower, you know, the front steps leading up to the entrance of the murder castle. Uh-huh. The instead of being a straight wall, the wall goes in what looks like to be one foot only. <laughs> so it's like at this angle for no yeah. reason near the entrance. It's very strange. <laughs> that's the that that's the <laughs> detail you're it. sticking on. Well, I'm I no. <laughs> I'm going to say, I mean, there's a room labeled The Maze. (laughs) Remember? True. 
<laughs> but this, but you know the strange the storefront that goes in about a foot from the from the entrance that is that's, that's what dams it. I mean, of all <laughs> of all the strange things he did, like let's do that. <laughs> let's too. do that. I need I need an extra foot. Yeah, and the giant awnings. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so the murder castle itself uh, was destroyed. A man named A.M. Clark purchased the buildings uh, just after the police investigation. He wanted to uh, basically open it as a tourist attraction. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Because <laughs> people love murder and they wanted to come see the murder house, the murder oh, castle. An enterprising um, young man. <laughs> yeah, capitalizing on tragedy, you know, good things. But then on August 19th, a railroad watchman saw flames coming from the castle's roof and seconds later, explosions blew out the first floor windows. I'm guessing all those gas lines that led <laughs> everywhere maybe kind of helped with the whole thing blowing up. And oh, basically geez. the whole thing was pretty much demolished. The first floor was salvaged and was a bookstore until the castle lot was sold in 1937. And in 1938, the entire lot was sold, the building raised, and it now has a U.S. post office that remains till this day. Oh, my God. <laughs> and if you, too, want to explore the murder castle, there are some games that you can play. It's, it looks like this, this, is, this is part of it. That you can kind of play Murder Castle. Uh, I couldn't. I think it's kind of like Clue meets Catan, and ah. I guess I guess there's also um, a build out of it for the Sim, one of the Sims packages. Oh my god! <laughs> so if if you do play, can you tell us about that extra foot at the storefront? Aaron really wants to know about that one detail. Actually, I really do. That's really bothering me. <laughs> I don't know why that bothers me more than the maze room. I think I expected that, but that one foot, I don't understand. Yeah, and it's one of the, it's, it's, <laughs> Sorry. why, why H.H. Holmes, why? Uh, yeah, so a lot of my research was from the Chicagoist, WBEZ, All Things Interesting, History.com, Biography, the Crime Museum, Indie Star, a site called um, Dusty Old Thing, and Wikipedia. So... That is the murder castle. It no longer exists, but it will be resurrected, hopefully, when Leonardo DiCaprio plays somebody. Um, I'm hoping he plays H.H. Holmes. That would be great. He must. And I know. And I guess that's coming out on Hulu. Oh, my God. He, you know, he's almost... I've seen pictures of this Mudget, and he is too pretty for that. Like, Mudget, to me, always looks like kind of a dope in, in his pictures. <laughs> you know, like, kind of dopey. Yeah. You know? So, I don't know. Maybe, people people said he was like super charismatic. I mean, he married something? a crap load of times, <sighs> and he convinced people that nothing going on was that weird in this house that they because they stayed there. Okay, so this this leads to that question that you asked during my story, which is why did people believe him? <laughs> See, it's such an interesting question why people would believe these people. You or know. maybe, you know, I, I can see people wanting, like, you know, it's the World's Fair, hotels are expensive, and they're probably overbooked, and here, hey, it might not be that great, but it's a bed. So I guess you can make a pilgrimage to go see the post office that's on the site now, but besides that, nothing remains, and aside from 
a lot of questions about <laughs> what actually is in there <laughs> and what actually did happen and how many people died and how he did all of it. But yeah, so I'd say it's uh, some bad architecture and definitely designed for death. I, yes. You know, this one. I think both of our he, stories show that you just really got to have a dream. And, and you know what? You got to follow that dream through. You have to be persistent. You have to be dogged. You have to not take no or don't or stop. Or being or, arrested. Or being arrested. <laughs> um, stop you. And cocaine helps if you need a little pick-me-up. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, just persistence, guys. You know, keep a hold of your dreams. <laughs> oh, Build your murder castle in the sky, I say. <laughs> or your sanitarium, for that matter. <laughs> or your sa- or your sanitarium in oh. in Olalala, 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 and you know, oh, and you know, goodness. don't forget to treat yourself with a, a tablespoon of orange juice after you know when you're feeling just one now, in- just one when you're feeling indulgent. <laughs> Oh, I love this. This was, it's set, it, you know, it's probably good. These places don't exactly exist anymore. Right. Cause who, you know, I'm not saying ghosts, but I'm saying there's going to, there'd be some bad embedded energy and I, in, in those places. hundred yeah. percent. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. <laughs> this is going to be fun. And I think it is, you know, and that's why we're doing this because I think chatting about what makes a place bad is fun is good i think let's celebrate what's bad absolutely it's 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 an indulgent pleasure for for me and i get to do it with my very good friend what's your badass oh the badass yes the and i'm probably pronouncing it wrong kiev crematorium and that and it is in ukraine oh this is a gorgeous, organically shaped crematorium. It's actually fairly renowned, and I want to show you some more oh. pictures of it. It was built in 1968, and it's got, it's very, there's no hard edges. It's very, it's done in like white. There's bands of windows and just beautiful arched lines, like very, it almost reminds me of like a bud opening through the ground. And that was done by a husband and wife artistic duo named Ada Rubachuk and Vladimir Melnichenko. Apologies on pronunciation in collaboration with architect Abraham Miletsvich, M-I-L-E-S-T, no, S-K-Y-J. I can't pronounce that and I apologize, but... This is cool. It's beautiful. It's this kind of very organic. Again, it reminds me of like when leaves are coming through the ground and they're kind of curved over at one point before they poke through. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was built in response because of the horrors of World War II and the crematoriums that were part of some of the concentration camps. Having a crematorium built was the kind of it brought up i guess a lot of really bad reactions and how to create something that was not reminiscent of what everybody's emotions about crematoriums were in post world war 
two times. And so this is a complete departure of anything that anybody could kind of make those those mental connections to. And they built it kind of in this park around it. There's this wall that has all these reliefs carved into it. And so it really, it was kind of a reaction against the horrors of, of the Second World War and really just this beautiful creation for the end of people's lives and to, to, to create something for people to go to. And I guess then it got covered in cement and people have been offering to pay for it to be, have the cement removed because it was done in, I think, a white paneling. Looks like my hostas outside right now. Yes, yes. So it kind of <laughs> has that, like, hostas. And it doesn't, it almost looks like some kind of funky mid-century church or something in, like, Planet of the Apes or something, like, out of a sci-fi movie that could be, like, more of, like, a church or spiritual place. And uh, Luke Skywalker's home. Something like that. As it's a young very, boy. <laughs> yeah. It's got that. It's very, it's very different. And I think and it's, an, it's a gorgeous. It's awesome. E- example of something designed for death. It is still an active crematorium with 12,000 cremations being conducted annually. Is it crematorium or crematorium? I think it's crematorium. Crematorium. I, I thought it was crematorium, but... Cream just sound, makes me think of like a dairy barn crematorium. Maybe this so. is one of those things that the British say it one way and we say it another way. So we mm. don't know how to say it. <laughs> mm. I think that this is really cool. Um, you know that I love Art Nouveau and the Art Nouveau mm-hmm. revival movement of the 60s and 70s. And this looks like something that sprang from that revival movement in the 60s. Like totally. It kind of looks like Xanadu. If you've ever been to Wisconsin Dolls. It's not there anymore, but it used to be. It was this white, you know, futuristic home of the future made out of white foam. And it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, globular (laughs) in shape. It kind of has a reminiscent feel of that. But this is much cooler. This is... It's it's extremely sculptural. It has very much organic feels. And it's such a departure of what you would think a crematorium would be. And so to, to... it is so effective in the fact that it broke any connotations or mental connections with um, the associations of crematoriums with the Holocaust that it, you know, what a, that's amazing design. That's amazing architecture that it could do that. And it really, it's stunning. It is, it's just It's stunning. very cool. It's yeah. very cool. So that's my badass architecture and design. It was designed for death. And so something designed for death can be something so sensitively, thoughtfully artistically created and made and and developed and actually realized into something that that does so much more than just burns bodies to be blunt right right it's it's more than just a function yeah more than just a function very nice not yeah badass so that's that's that that's our (laughs) badass architecture so i think that's that's the first episode. That's I it. I think we we did it. I'm gonna. I, I think for a first time, it's a good first time. I think so too. <laughs> Fucking metronome! It just comes out every time. I remember the first time. I'm like, what is this? Like, why? <laughs>